Welcome to Seed Phrase, a podcast speaking with people close to art, blockchains, or both. I'm Simon Denny, an artist who unpacks stories about technologies. For each episode, I ask a guest to choose 12 words, their personal seed phrase, which gets minted as an NFT. Like the key to a crypto wallet, the seed phrase unlocks our conversation. For this episode, I invited Lee Tsutsung, a political artist from Taiwan whose participatory artworks use blockchain technology in accessible, inventive ways. Tsutsung describes her practice as a prolonged undercover performance art project, using her agency as an artist to gain access to complex political spaces. This has resulted in works like Positive Coin, the first bionic cryptocurrency, and Forkonomy, which speculatively fractionalizes ownership of one milliliter of water from the South China Sea. Do NFTs merely privatize ideas to generate profit, or can they open up new pathways to political participation? This is a central question across Tsutsung's work, which she generously talks us through in this conversation. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm Zitong. I'm from Taiwan, and I'm a political artist. I'm currently doing the recording at United States Cambridge. Very cool. And you're in Cambridge because you're enrolled in a program there with MIT, is that right? Uh, yes. What, can you tell correct. us a little bit about the context in which that's taking place at the moment? What's MIT like? What's the program you're enrolled in and what's going on there? I'm actually just graduated from our culture and technology program. So this is one of the program under architecture department and trying to develop more uh, technological art within our program. Wow, sounds really great. And how long have you been in Massachusetts for? And did you go directly from Taiwan to there? Or were there some steps in between? And are you living in both or in many different locations? What's your kind of physical setup, let's say? Uh, yeah, so MIT is actually my second master before I had a master in Chicago. And in between, I also have residency in New York, Um but most of the time, I also stay in Taiwan because I did a experimental documentary called Writing the Time Lag. It's about the woman and queer in indigenous movement. So I often go back and do my field research um, in Taiwan. And I also have served in uh, political parties in Taiwan as well. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I mean, that sort of brings us directly to some of the some of the things I wanted to talk about with you, um, and just to remind listeners, like Seed Phrase has this conceit where we ask you to choose uh, 12 words, which um, rhymes with this um, Ethereum protocol system where it's sort of like a password also for your wallet. And uh, maybe as we start off the conversation, just to kind of set the scene, I might ask you to read your seed phrase words if you have them in front of you, just so that yeah, viewers can kind of set the scene. And I think some of these topics will come up again and again, and we might lean into these terms as we go also. But do you want to just read those that you've chosen now? Uh, of course. Okay, so my phrases are sail pirate sea, queer non-human war, decolonize island X politics, commoning art identity. Amazing. I also love the way that these come together as a kind of a little poem. It's a great way to start. So maybe one of the things to, to get the conversation going a bit is to ask you, have you always been both an artist and an activist? And how do these two realms begin to become intertwined for you? <laughs> I think the intertwine of these two identity come after uh, Sunflower Revolution 
2014, which happened in Taiwan. So before, Taiwanese people often ask themselves about their identity: Who am I? And、uh, you are whom? That is most because Taiwan was colonized by. Many different colonizers, including Dutch, Spanish, Qing Dynasty, Japanese、uh, imperial government, and Chinese nationalist. Comparing to other East Asian countries such as Japan or Korea, which have more of like monoethnic cultures, Taiwan, because of this history, do have different diverse ethnics on the island, and so. When facing China's threat towards Taiwan, and when Taiwan try to have more like independent consciousness,、uh, many people ask this question: like who we really are, as we already being colonized by different cultures and have like many different people come to our island.、Mm. Um, so, in order to pursue. And this question, and also better understand my struggle for identity, I started to like serve in politics.、Hmm. For that, trying to understand why there is like a lot of political passion. What's the political passion behind all these Taiwanese people? Why? What's the cause、uh, for them to identify with certain group?、Hmm. I was even. Like even trend in DC、uh, in a lobbyist Taiwan lobbyist group, or have used a fake name to infiltrate a PRC's Alliance for China's Peaceful Reunion. Oh wow!、Uh, in order to understand more of like China's communist perspective, and、oh, wow. I see my artist body and its agency in the field as a prolonged undercover performance art. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's quite incredible. So you even went on a kind of infiltration mission as an artist into a Chinese group. Is that was that what you said? That I, I didn't know that. Can、yes. you say more about that, or is that something that remains a little bit、uh, secret? Or、uh, what's the vibe there? Yes.、Uh, so in two thousand fourteen, it's about the last Taiwan presidential election,、mm-hmm. and a lot of PRC communist members are afraid that Tsai Ing-wen, who is a president. That it's pro Taiwan independence will get elected,、mm. so they have a lot of、um, group within China and outside China thinking of like how can they stop this from happening in Taiwan,、mm. and one of the largest alliance group hoping for the reunion of China is in Chicago, and、mm. at the time I also happened to study there, so I use a fake name and saying I'm a young student. Pro China unification, right? And I want to learn more about Chinese history, and so I kind of like infiltrated <laughs> into the group. At the time, I was even being reported by their press. There's also you can find on the internet there's a press that my my face is in the picture and、oh, wow. saying that there's like young Taiwanese student who are willing to participate this unification. <laughs> Action! Wow, <laughs> what an amazing outcome! And I mean, that's quite a particular type of art making, I have to say. I mean, I'm really interested in like who your 
models were uh, in thinking about becoming an artist, right? You, you're saying you you chose these different arenas to act as an artist in, um, and you sort of used, I guess, like the artwork frame as a way of being able to be an activist and, and sort of embody politics somehow, political action, and maybe reify it for kind of artistic thinking. Were you looking at other artists or other kind of people that have done that in the past to kind of frame how you might do this stuff? Or is it just coming from your intuition at the time, thinking that this would be a really good way to work? I think i definitely interested in many participatory, socially engaged artworks. Mm -hmm. At the time, I was also looking to Sophie Kahl, if I pronounce that right. Yeah, sure. Because I'm interested in how she takes her action as an art performance, which later I'm not totally agree with. But that's kind of kind of like inspire me of oh actually maybe my route um in political field can be seen as an art performance or can be regarded by myself as an art action and how as an artist within all this political field reflect on activism or reflect on politics. Mm. Could they have a different take on politics? Because actually people working in politics is really just working all the best to promote one agenda right. for, yeah, get one candidate being elected. Yeah, that's so interesting. And, and art can play these other roles, right, of uh, um, yeah, doing things that are more, let's say, indeterminate, <laughs> something like that. So, I mean, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you in the guise of seed phrase is also because you interact with markets and interact with crypto and have designed projects for like blockchain-based work, made tokens both on, I think, Tezos and also other networks. I'm not entirely sure where every piece is. But when did you come to crypto? Like, how did you end up getting interested in crypto? And why did you think it would be like an interesting thing for you as an artist and an activist to kind of work with crypto in the context of making political art? So before I was really doing more about political artwork, like writing the time lag, it's about queer and women indigenous activist and there's another one called Ghostkeeper. It's we are creating Facebook avatars for people who experiences political violence and we ask another bunch of writers to write their stories on Facebook in a first person perspective, kind of like resurrected all these deceased spirits. Oh wow. And later I start to move to like thinking about economics. That is also before the time of Hong Kong Revolution and Ukraine War. There is a myth in Taiwan. It's called like there is a magic mountain that protects the nation. And the mountain is called TSMC, Taiwan Mm -hmm. Semiconductor Manufacturing Company. Wow. That's amazing. (laughs) Really? Yes. So semiconductor, it's like a source of power that it's like most world's technology provides high-tech chips for a company like Apple, um, Nintendo, and like all the major technology may require a semiconductor. And all this is majorly uh, manufactured in Taiwan. So a permanent disruption of this supply chain would interrupt the whole like world tech world. For sure. So there is a myth in Taiwan or a saying that maybe Taiwan will be safe 
because of TSMC, this hmm. magic mountain. Wow. Uh, that we won't probably be attacked by China or probably U.S. would protect us because they don't want semiconductor supply chain to be ruined. Obviously not, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so that kind of myth inspired me to think, okay, maybe economic independency could help us have more uh, national sovereignty or also let us have more national independency. So that's why I start to get interested in um, like how to create economic art or things related to transaction and creating a market. Right. After that, oh, first I met someone in Berlin as well called uh, Julio. I think he was also being mentioned in the last podcast. He's oh. one of the founder of Circle UBI. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, an amazing project for those of you who remember. Yeah, Circle UBI is this kind of yeah universal basic income uh, project that was sort of coming out of stuff around some founders here that very different projects, actually. It came from the Gnosis kind of community, but then it sort of spiraled off into something else. And it's still going yes. on. Yeah, really amazing. Yeah, I mean, cool. Yeah, um, so kind of like connected to him and understand, okay, actually, uh, cryptocurrency could create community, could distribute UBIs, or like this notion of creating different economic protocols for a community. And uh, thinking, okay, maybe I can like start from here, I can create small community for artists, for the indigenous community that I encounter with. So I, I think that's the starting point. Yeah. So then you thought of a couple of different things. And I mean, I guess I looked through what you've been doing in the past. And I guess the most recent project that really resonated with the seed phrase conversation was this project called Forkonomy. And I wonder if you want to just kind of explain for people what the proposition of Forkonomy is and how you kind of execute it as that. It, it sort of proposes an ownership model, right, for the South China Sea, which is a provocative thing to propose, which is within some frameworks, maybe. So maybe you can you can explain a little bit like the context and the history of that and, and what Forkonomy does uh, propose. Okay. So uh, Forkonomy is a project that I created with Hong Kong artist Winnie Sun. It's a participatory contract workshop, and we aim to queer our idea about commons. We gather people like biologists, policymakers, indigenous activists, uh, social cooperation leaders, free and open source community leaders to come together and ask to discuss one figurative question that is how do you buy or own one milliliter of the South China Sea? <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> In our first version during our workshop, we discuss various kind of ownership and eventually draft the contract together according to the ownership model that we decided. So, for example, at the time, I actually did go to South China Sea and pack that water to the workshop site in the exception. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then we discussed, like, for example, if this water in front of us, this um, seven bucket of huge water, um, should that be private-owned? That means that I'm the artist who packed the water and bring it to the side. So maybe this is something like artwork and that it's belong to me and the cost of it or the price of it reflects of my labor. Right. 
like a sort of Marxist transfer of like labor value into like taking this supposedly free resource, which is then uh, then turned into your private asset. Uh, yeah, interesting. Yes, yes, and and another kind of a、uh, ownership could be co-op. That means the seawater it's co-owned and should be co-managed. But who co-owns this water、hmm. should be also discussed as well.、Hmm. And another. Proposition is yes, of course, the South China Sea is state-owned because the South China Sea is like now clan owned by many nations, including、um, China, Brunei, Indonesia, Malaysia, Philippines, Taiwan, and Vietnam. Right. So South China Sea should be state-owned, and perhaps the seawater that I packed to decide it's like I just thief the seawater. So I should like apply to my nation saying that I just deliberately take the seawater and what should my <laughs> price to pay to 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 Taiwan perhaps. Right. Yeah, and another two model it's owned by others. That it's maybe、uh, seawater is not owned by anyone. So if we are like doing any transaction of the seawater, it's simply an act of pirating,、mm-hmm. or perhaps because Taiwan is not belong to United Nation, not part of its member.、Mm. So we also question that should Taiwan obey the United Nation Convention on the Law of the Sea? Right. And also, there's like other option that can be decided by the participant. So we have. One, two, three, four, five, five different kind of ownership model that、mm-hmm. upon、um, the participant to to decide which one they would choose. And actually, after our first version of the workshop,、uh, the in- initial participant decided that the ownership、uh, style of South China Sea should be cooperative. Okay, and also set the price. As one point six one New Taiwan dollar, which equal to zero point zero five USD, or around zero point zero two pesos, on the date two thousand twenty December nineteenth. Okay, wow, and that was like, how much one could buy in theory, like one milliliter of the South China Sea for. Is that right? Yes. So, for example, if you buy one milliliter, you can pay in pesos or you can pay in Taiwan dollar. And but each person, regardless how much seawater you have, you only have one vote. It's as how、huh. that could be managed in the co-op style that everyone has one vote, no matter the quantity that you have. Okay, so it's one body,、see. one vote, rather or. Or one wallet, one vote. Yes. I should tell you before、yes. our call today, I went onto the Tezos network because I,、huh. I also have made some NFTs on Tezos at some point last year, or、yes. actually two years ago now, and I bought myself a、uh, a piece of the South China Sea through、um, <laughs> through your contract. <laughs> so that's interesting. So you're saying、um, that I then have the same votes as some because I looked at the list of owners. It's、uh, if you go to theobject.com. I don't know if you guys have looked at that recently, but Tezos has got a lot easier to interact with. More recently, and、um, I see a list of owners, and somebody owns nine thousand five hundred and one, or one particular <laughs> wallet owns nine thousand five hundred and one things, and I only own one. But you're saying that both of us have the same voting power in the DAO, right? One address have. Okay, and so I should start other addresses if I want to start to manipulate <laughs> your your system now.、Right? Yeah, you can do that. <laughs> okay, great. I also note that on that NFT is connected actually a PDF. 
and the PDF has a contract on it. Do you want to talk about what's in that contract? Uh, so the contract basically said the person who owns the South China Sea also owns have the respons- responsibility to co-manage the South China Sea. Mm. And if you are not a person who but a company, then um, the way of management should be equal to uh, the, what's the name of it? The, the equator style. Hmm. Yeah, the equator principle. So equator principle is more kind of like encourage private sector to collaboratively obey or encourage them to have better conduct uh, when managing their assets. And if they are like not having um, a better conduct when managing their assets, uh, the bank behind them can use different measure, for example, cease to loan money to them kind of as a way to encourage them to behave better when it comes to managing their assets. Okay, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So that's Very like cool. what we wrote for any company who want to participate in our co-op committee. Amazing. Yeah, I'm looking down the list of owners, and there's somebody called FakeNews.Tez who owns it, who looks like a bit of a whale collector as well. And I think Kevin Abosh also owns one. Interesting part of the crypto community. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, you've got some heavy hitters in there. Very cool. I guess uh, it's it's a really interesting proposition. And this was also recently exhibited, right, as part of an exhibition, the one called Dear Blockchain, which I think was a show at Solid Art. Um mm. And were you involved in presenting that as part of this show as well? Or did they kind of, I mean, it's different levels of involvement sometimes for participating in shows. How was Dear Blockchain? Mm. In Dear Blockchain, yeah, I was like in part of the show. And th- that was counted as like our second time um, showing this Fraconomy project. Mm. That is also the time that we decided to move uh, the Fraconomy from simply the workshop style onto NFT realm. Right. And so within that, of course, like set up the whole installation environment, including a carpet that is blue and kind of look like a sea <laughs> place for people to discuss uh, on the on the on the carpet. And also we published 10,000 edition of this NFT and me and Winnie discussed about that and decided that the potential royalties will be used to generate the subsequent 10,000 edition of it. So the meaning is to generate more water buyers as much as possible for South China Sea and every transaction is can also be recorded that is beyond um, this current sovereignties. So can you talk us through another project of yours, a slightly earlier project as well, that also worked with uh, Format, a project called Positive Coin? Quite a different project, actually, and quite a lot earlier because it was 2019, so way before the NFT boom, let's say, and, and before a lot of artists were working with this technology. I'm aware that it's a project that I kind of dealt with, I guess, kind of, or if I can say it, like simulating some of the experiences people who suffer from HIV go through, uh, which is, I guess, like reflected in the pun uh, name, mm. right? Positive coin. It has quite a cool website also for those of you listening. It's got a, quite a nice interface. It claims to be a bionic 
cryptocurrency, which I also think is a nice um, formulation. How does this project work in terms of coin ownership and how does it constitute a, a community of uh, positive coiners? So before positive coin, I do like more work on uh, political artwork mm. um, and also about like working on people with different political identification. And later I um, start to interested in disease identification mm. because HIV is developing as a chronic disease. And actually there's like many people actually identify with this disease, especially when this group of people also highly overlapped with LGBTQ community. Sure. And so there is a sense of um, how to cultivate this identification um, that have happened within HIV community. And I also happened to uh, encounter a group of people who call Buck Chaser who are actively um, pursuing and wanting to have HIV. Uh, and so their idea is totally contrast with the current disease control uh, policy or idea, and which also make me feel like really interesting in, in creating a community or having a, a currency that was symbolizing their identification or forcing, reinforcing um, their identification. Um, so why I call positive coins like... Um, Anyone who's like HIV positive, it's positive, and also positive can refers to uh, how HIV positive people and queer people are unflaggingly trying to bring positive meaning to their identity and disease. Um, so the positive, the first version of positive coin has a more bionic features. We create the digital coin with an interest rate that resembles the growth rate of various subtype of HIV. We also had an expiration date. Suppose the participant didn't renew their digital wallet at the exception site. In that case, their positive coin will expire. So as if uh, the patient could not visit the hospital or get medicine regularly, and that would be what happened to most of the people who have disease. And... But the second version of positive coin is now actually showing in Beijing, China. And me and my team is currently more focusing on uh, simplifying this mechanism and wanted to be more reflect on the HIV disease stigma scale. So uh, when the audiences enter the exception site, um, the project, uh, when they scan... Um, the, the QR code um, in the site, they will be distributed a questionnaire and that will measure audience stigma level. And a higher stigma level will result in a higher positive coin price. So that it's more, I think, the idea, like I want to be more focused on stigma uh, disease control and how disease control related to stigma because most often queer experience is defined with a negative emotion relating to sexual shame and stigma and as well as a series of counter strategy and performance concerning uh, the effect that shame and stigma have caused like um, having um, pride parade 
but for for me, positive coin is now a project that measures shame and measures the control of the nation state. How these powers have work on the so-called others, and every coin marks the constructed stigma fed by the state's paranoia. Uh, signifying the control which led the social deviants to feel shame, and this shame defined the the equally vulnerable structure of the power. Yeah, amazing. Um, I, I yes. mean, just to, just to elucidate on yeah. a few more points around the um, around the mechanics of the project itself, right? So, yes. if I understand the project correctly, there were like four different kinds of quote unquote coins that were like randomly distributed, and that meant that you got a kind of a QR code uh, that you wore as like a wristband. Is that right? Yes. Um, that All linked right. to one type of these uh, of these different coins, and they were also amazingly kind of had an exchange rate with the Taiwanese dollar, right? The, the new Taiwan dollar. Um, and so, can you talk about how you did that in terms of like programming and software? Like, which environment did you use? Like, was it actually on a existing blockchain, or was it like did you have a, a, a private blockchain that you used it on? Or like, how, how did the kind of technical mechanisms all come in from the from the hardware uh, like wristband uh, to mm. the QR code to the interface? Uh, mm. Yeah, I'd, I'd just love to know more of those details. Yeah, so the first version is actually on a private chain because mm-hmm. um, we couldn't write that much feature on blockchain, like including growth yeah, right. rate. That is yeah, actually sure. very hard Impossible. to yeah. do that. So um, we recorded all the transactions on, and have like a small private chain at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have all the address recorded on QR code. Mm-hmm. So each one of the uh, of the audiences who bought the positive coin can have one wrist, and the wrist is printed with a QR code. The QR code right. is the address of their wallet and reflect right. how much money they have, um, right. how much positive coin they have. But I also do have a regret that our first version, it's only on on private chain and I right, sure. and after all that year I feel like no it's not really a blockchain thing if it's on the private <laughs> chain. <laughs> yeah. I mean it was so hard at that time though. Yeah. It's, it, it, I, it's I was just talking to Tira Zero and they were saying that it was also like choosing which chain to use at the time making they made a project uh, with an NFT token with an ERC721 token on the Ethereum blockchain as it was emerging in 2018, but they said they could have as easily done it on other chains. And or, and even that one, it didn't have enough metadata to show up then on um, OpenSea or these other marketplaces that people used to discover projects from 2021 onwards, basically. Um, and so they had to wrap the tokens uh, in a new contract and kind of they also added another asset when they wrapped it and kind of redeployed it later on. So I, I wonder if that's an option also for positive coins. I, I don't know how you would do that, but yeah. Uh, transaction records for mm-hmm. each of the people. Uh, and also, so we issue QR code and each QR code is their transaction record. So right. a lot of time they cannot actually do uh, the transaction automatically. Uh, we also have like fear, complicated feature design. For example, like these people... Uh, people with HIV subtype A virus and HIV subtype B virus, the right. two people can interact with each other and then the virus type will uh, change into a AB subtype 
virus, and so their interest rate and their growth rate would change. And this is like super complicated. So actually, lots of them,、uh, in order for us not to be too centralized on、okay. on、uh, designing the model, all the transaction was actually printed on. Uh, their QR code. <laughs> so if they are lose their QR code,、uh, they don't have any coins, and everything have to done with the QR code. So we also ask the people to sign、um, yeah. the wrist, sign their name on the wrist. Thankful for you are also mentioning that people doing trying to issue coins in 2017 was like、uh, 2019. It's like encountering many difficulties because when I was like doing that in Taiwan and. I think like majority of people who are doing this, it's actually in、um, in Europe or in America. For sure, it's very hard. <laughs> I can imagine. So yeah, I we kind of like latch one technique、uh, with another、mm-hmm. and like assemble this、um, first version. So I really appreciate there is a p- opportunity to have a second version to kind of. In 2022, because there is like a lot of more mature interfaces available for like easily issuing coin、um, on the in- internet. Yeah, it's a way different environment. I mean, it, even as I said, we're talking to Terrazero. It's not only the technical things, and actually, it's maybe maybe even not mainly the technical things that have grown, but it's also, I guess, like norms、uh, in the kind of、yes. NFT world or something like that. So,、uh, they were talking about、um, a project that they did uh, called um, Flower Token, and they were kind of talking about defining like a size for the number of tokens, and it was like they were like,、um, I don't know, a <laughs> hundred, and like now, you know, you sort of know that like a a major. Um, kind of would be very popular profile picture collection is roughly ten thousand. I presume you use ten thousand also because it's sort of become a standard for the、um, for the economy、uh, coin as well for that project. But it was also like back then there was just nothing to kind of like norm、uh, side even in Europe. So uh, uh, it's interesting to note. But I I also know that、um, these artistic communities are really small even in Berlin, right? And Berlin is supposedly one of the hotspots for.、Um, Blockchain-related practices, also because there's the Ethereum Foundation、um, has a major office here, etc. And many, many kind of like、um, blockchain startups are in Berlin. But yeah, I can imagine acting outside of one of those centers. I'm from New Zealand,、um, and so I'm in touch also with、uh, the Artiaroa, you know, kind of community of art making. And there's barely anybody working in crypto-related art there, and it's a very remote thing to be doing. There's a couple of startups that are trying to kind of reissue. You know, images of prints from kind of New Zealand、uh, art masters as kind of like tokens to sell, but that's about the extent of it. There's not a lot of kind of design of projects made for blockchains, right? As, as using it as a medium, so to speak. And、um, so, yeah. Anyway, I don't know if Aotearoa compares、uh, very much to、um, to Taiwan, but、um, it's. I would imagine there's maybe even a bit more activity in Taiwan, but、uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's still. Very hard, but I'm very glad that the year before I was、uh, visiting Berlin, and as you said, there's like many community、mm. there in Berlin. Yeah, it's cool. But you did say that this the the, the this project Positive Coin is being、um, exhibited right now, actually,、uh, in a in a show in Beijing. Can you give us a bit more context to what that presentation looks like and how you presented this project again?、Um, how does、mm. that look? Yeah. So actually, before the exhibition, we also we I also have a 
a conversation with the curator because. Uh, before, in the first version, we kind of want to create a community. So we also include a lot of. Um, we talk with uh, many Taiwan NGO and artists who create artwork relating to uh, AIDS, and we create a a circle that any residuals um, from the positive coin project will be distributed to equally to all these agents. At the end, we also have a positive coin auction. Uh, the audience could use positive coin to purchase the artwork or uh, the souvenir that issued by these NGOs. Right. I kind of saw a marketplace. I think with those objects online. Is that right? Like, is uh, yes. doing the research looked like some pretty interesting things that people could buy. Uh, maybe you could also talk about as you talk about this some of the stuff that uh, people could buy with their positive coin. So. NGO normally will issue different souvenirs to have like their donation, and there's okay. also many great uh, AIDS uh, artists who create AIDS-related artworks. Yeah, yeah, um, paintings uh, like Jay Triangular, who's like more advocating for um, woman who has HIV, because mm-hmm. comparing to um, the larger uh, larger community in HIV who are mostly um, gay men, a woman who also frequently suffer from uh, sexual shame. Mm. It's uh, like another additional closet uh, within the HIV community. Mm. So there's like a lot of um, artists that we connected with and they're willing to um, sell their artwork uh, priced in uh, positive coin. Awesome. Yeah. But when this version, when we are trying to um, show in China, we encounter a lot of interesting challenges. For example, um, at the time, uh, there's two things. One is pandemic, right? Uh, the COVID pan- pandemic, yeah, which has a massive and, impact in China in particular, right? Like especially this this past year. Yeah. Yes. And another thing is they have their uh, Congress election, right? Yeah. Yes. So it's a politicized so, moment also. Yeah. So we actually uh, we want to replicate this model of collaborating with NGO, but it's actually very hard to do because before the Congress election, no NGO want to have particular action, especially this kind of sensitive topic in China. Mm. Um, HIV, most of the NGO are afraid of like doing additional action in their agents. They just trying to be like past this particular time. Sure. So the curator say told me that it's actually very hard for me right now to have this connection with HIV related NGO right. in China right now. And um another thing it's also pandemic, which r- reminds me like how this resembles to HIV pandemic. Right. Yes, yeah. um, and how uh, the zero COVID policy that enforced by China government, how they try to control the disease, how to quarantine people, how to use national surveillance t- system to categorize people. It also replicate what happened in AIDS pandemic. Sure. Yeah, there's a lot of resonances between those kind of two moments, but it's really interesting to hear that from your perspective um so can you can you say concretely like what um 
what was then shown in Beijing for this show. <laughs> so it's uh, just to just to round off that uh, reflection. Um, so did you did you show the uh, remnants from the previous performance, or like how did how did it uh, manifest in the exhibition? Um, so in this version in China, uh, we also have the wrist. Okay. Uh, that the wrist that with QR code people can get access to. And website and that website actually connects to a questionnaire. Ah. Uh, and this questionnaire, uh, I did like come from different references, uh, stigma questionnaire references, including LGBTQ stigma references and also HIV stigma scale questionnaire, uh, kind of to um, level the current stigma scales of the audiences. Mm. Uh, and also we have. Uh, the the open questions uh, uh-huh. we gave out uh, write different scenario for example asking if you are living in an environment which have a lot of national surveillance but you are promised to be safe uh, how would you feel living in this environment yeah or how would you reflect on the national policy okay um, but actually these questions are. Very censored, right? So, uh, in this version, we also use mint all their answers to NFT, hmm. kind of to protect their answer and circulate their oh, wow. answers. And on what chain are those NFTs? Are they on uh, Tezos as well, or uh, on ETH chain? Oh, really? Oh, wow! Uh, I'd love to see that collection. So, uh, th- th- that exists right now. That collection of uh, what? How can people find that collection of NFTs of uh, of artists? What do they search for? Yeah, we haven't really opened that to public. Like telling everyone okay. where is the address okay, to cool. buy it. So it's there. It's minted. It's on Ethereum somewhere. But part of it is also about protecting the speech as well as as well as keeping it for um, forever in a way. Yeah. Uh, let me have a second thought of this. Um, yeah, I think it's talkable. Okay. It, it, because, um, like, last time when I was sharing this project in Slovenia, yeah. um, I was, like, very excited, uh, very interested about the challenge that I encountered and very excited when hearing people asking about their interest on this project. So I, I feel I kind of, like, share a lot about this project situation in China. Yeah. Uh, but also, there is censorship still um, with the people who working in China. Of course, yeah. Yes. No, and one needs to be sensitive to that. So obviously, if, if sharing is the wrong thing, and yeah, I actually quite like this uh, idea that you publish to a blockchain, but you kind of, you know, obscure those publishings for having the option to point to it at a later date. That's a very interesting use also of NFTs and of a, of a blockchain um, for, for speech, right? Uh, for, for kind of public speech uh, being immutable. Yes, yeah. So we are planning to let this project more open after the China exception finishes. So to kind of more be safe on... Uh, all the mechanisms um, that stat within China. Right. Okay. Cool. Well, uh, people can watch watch the space then and and see when they can see some of that um, dialogue happening. Maybe this is a good actually transition into asking maybe more questions about your approach. You know, uh, it's really interesting to hear about Foconomy and about Positive Coin 
in its different iterations and how those projects have used blockchains for an artistic medium and NFTs. But I guess there's a question because I guess I've read also a bunch of conversations that you've been a part of. I've also read texts that you've written. And it seems to be that one of the reasons why you're interested in the proposition of cryptocurrencies and the proposition of using blockchains, um, both from a political perspective and an artistic perspective, is this idea that they can exist outside of traditional nation-state formations, which often from my research interests, you know, I guess like right-wing libertarians who are building uh, kind of systems that want to accumulate capital that don't want to, for example, participate in tax systems uh, of, you know, this is a, a sort of a traditional Bitcoin ideology kind of position. Um, but as I understand your interest in NFTs and in blockchains in general, the interest is more political, but coming from a very different side, right? Thinking about, obviously, Taiwan's relationship to China and also the idea that a nation state is the only um, envelope for having currency. Then you've said in the past that cryptocurrencies can be something that acts outside of this. And maybe this recent iteration of positive coin where some text is published as NFTs that is then sort of outside of the reach of a state apparatus in some ways is an example of that interest. But you know, um, some people also have criticized, I guess, uh, and there's been like a, a backlash on, on using NFTs and, and blockchain technologies, as you've also said, right, to privatize ideas and, and generate profit. Um, so how do you square that, right? Like both the kind of, I guess, uh, potential of the um, extra state activity of blockchains and the kind of dangers of them or the or the dangers of, of being lumped in with projects that are, you know, coming from a very different political place, let's say, than what I think you're interested in. Wow. How, how, how do I start it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, long, it's a long question. Maybe I can simplify just saying like, you know, um, how do you feel using blockchains uh, in some ways? Are, are you always excited about them or are you sometimes critical of, of the ways that other people use blockchains for making artistic projects? Or I don't know, maybe that's an easier question. Yeah, I, I think that can sort of come back to like our previous conversation. In 2018, mm -hmm. uh, I tried to have um, Arthon, the, the hackathon for artists, and try to promote um, blockchain to artists and to indigenous community. Right. And it actually doesn't work mm. very well or mm. at all. Um, one of the reasons it's like there wasn't that much interfaces like now, and most of the interfaces are in English. Right. Or very technical. And people would just be very afraid of it and don't understand what's the the reason of using it. Right. And that make me realize that for any technology that I, I thought um, this technology would kind of like decentralize the current one or to uh, help build uh, one alternative economic System, but the most important thing of a technology is being accessible right. to different people with mm -hmm. different abilities. Mm -hmm. So, originally, I was thinking, oh, maybe this technology could decolonize, help decolonize the current hierarchical structure. Uh, but most of the time in the blockchain world, um, it is not the case. Right, because uh, the literacy aspect. Note. Yeah, sorry, so yes. keep going. Maybe paper notes are more easy than um, cryptocurrency right. for most of the time. Yeah. 
Yes. I, that's so interesting. So that the literacy aspect, not only in terms of technical literacy in this case, like knowing what like programming interfaces, et cetera, are good for, um, but also the fact that a lot of this conversation is happening in English and in you know, places where English is not lingua franca, uh, that's a very high barrier to entry if you have to interact with a whole other language, of course. So that's crazy. So, yeah, so uh, I guess are you thinking about um, the potentials of taking some of the maybe design components that that you discovered and were exploring in these projects within a cryptocurrency kind of blockchain context and using them in like more of like a paper context for, for, for going on with future projects? Is that something that you're thinking about? So for, for economy, I think in that one, and also in positive coin, I, I think uh, for me, it's like more thinking about how audiences could be more easily accessed to this concept. Right. In Forconomy, we would, not only we do have NFT and DAO, but when me and Winnie was discussing it, we think um, the actual space of a workshop, it's very important. Uh, not only uh, this kind of conversation about South China Sea, not only is it on the internet or can support in the internet realm, but also people can, without that much uh, technological access, could also go to the side and like physically participate in the conversation. Right. And we also do have our printout paper contract, and we will record their contract and will come then as a vote. And we will um, like next version of our economy will be probably show in Australia. Huh. And so we also have counted that all, all these people will also have their share if we are going to have a DAO. Yeah, I, I think art space for me is a good way for more people to participate beyond uh, the internet realm, right. letting more like access to people with different abilities. Yeah, that's, that makes a lot of sense. And also, like I think, I guess I'm, I'm thinking about both of these projects, I guess both for, um, for Economy and for Positive Coin. The art site has provided this IRL kind of meetup or, or more, let's say, analog component to both projects that you then as an artist or as a collective of artists in, in some cases like have then taken the activity from that and, and kind of fed that back into the blockchain-based project. So you're sort of, in a way, you're acting as a technical and context-based translator with a lot of the participants of the project. Is that a fair thing to say? Yes, probably. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's really an interesting um, way to, to kind of bridge literacy gaps, right? Um, can you say where you're going to show this um, next in Australia for, for people that are, are coming across it? Or is that still information? Information. Okay, all good. Yeah, we just have that uh, information about last week. So. Okay, cool. Very exciting. Well, um, I hope that continues to put together well. But you mentioned DAOs. You mentioned kind of collective decision-making. Mm. Can you say, you know, about your own kind of uh, thoughts about the way that DAOs and DAO decision-making goes? Like, are you part of other DAOs as well? Uh, having done a few DAO-like formations around these projects, do you have thoughts on that way of organizing? Yes. I, I participate for a while in the Genesis DAO. Oh, cool. Tell us about that. What is that? In early 2018, 
I think there is like Genesis Tao that、mm-hmm. form, formed, and I think like at the time in the Telegram, I think it's only around like one hundred people deciding what kind of ah、uh, our project or or something that they want to f- back with.、Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually, after that, I didn't participate that much because I started to want to build、um, my own community in Taiwan,、right. and then it doesn't went that well.、Hmm. Uh, that made me reflect on if、uh, this technology really works、right. for forming community or、hmm. to have this purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a meme, right? Well, that's what I sort of think. Like DAOs are. You know,、um, it's an idea that some people relate to and adopt, and then kind of perform under in lots of different ways. And some of those have commonalities, and some of those have differences. And I guess if I was describing positive coin and forkonomy, like、uh, some of what I've heard are sort of DAO-like formations of community.、Um, these these are also、uh, localities of of commoning, let's say. And what about other kind of crypto projects? Do you look at other parts of the world of artists using crypto and see things that are interesting for you? Yes. So recently, I more connected to a crypto commons association and like interested in what they are doing with like refi regenerative economics, also the web. Oh yeah. That it's happening in more like San Francisco, you sure, know, America. Yeah, and there's a lot of great crypto projects. But also, I have questions for you. Actually,、uh, in your question, you mentioned about the dot com seance. Yeah, seance.、Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I want to ask you about that. Like, I briefly looked at on the internet,、mm-hmm. and I want to ask you about. What's your motivation of having this project, and what what do people do currently in your proto DAOs? Yeah. So, for those of you who are not familiar listening,、uh, I did a collaborative project that was published by Folia, which is like a kind of a Berlin-based group of programmers and art enthusiasts, and I collaborated with a really amazing artist who was sort of important to the history of, I guess, NFTs、uh, and PFPs in a way. This guy. Gile Twardowski,、uh, who's based in Vancouver, and Gile, he was the guy who drew the cat for CryptoKitties, which is yeah one of, if not the most important NFT projects in terms of usage of the Ethereum network in、uh, 2018. But also, I think it kind of paved the way for a genre of you know cute animal profile picture based projects that I think have done a lot of really interesting things since. And I got in touch with Gile because I curated his work as part of CryptoKitties、um, into this exhibition that I made at the Schinkel Pavilion in 2018 here in Berlin called Proof of Work. And、um, yeah, we showed a CryptoKitty as a part of that. And then I kind of kept chatting on and off to Gile, and we got talking about the boom and bust cycles in crypto and how you know moments of excitement and injection of capital come and then they crash you know and there are these kind of extreme moments of hype and then moments of kind of extreme and fast obsolescence and failure and I guess right now we're sort of going through one of these crash moments、um, where lots of things that seemed amazing and super interesting to everybody. 
six months a year ago um, are now uh, seem to be kind of like totally trash and and bad actors come out of the woodwork and it seems like lots of fraud was happening when things were promised, et cetera. And um, we were talking about that tendency in crypto because we'd seen through our own earlier interest in NFTs before they became a big boom in 2021 other cycles. And and I was really interested for a long time in um, the history of the web and the history of the commercial web in particular and the crash in 2001 and the kind of phenomena of building up Web1 companies, you know, um, and then the fact that they all look so silly. And Pets.com came up as an example of that. You know, for those of you that don't know, Pets.com was this company that was just selling pet store supplies. And it was sort of the symbol in some ways of the 2001 crash. Um, and, you know, uh, Gilea and I were talking about how Pets.com and uh, and CryptoKitties are sort of an interesting uh, moment in Web 1 and Web 3. And then the idea came, oh, what would it be if we were to take Web 1 companies and kind of resurrect them as companies in Web 3? And we were like, oh, that's such a cool idea. And then we got in touch with them. Um, the people that were making at the time um, Midjourney, this uh, this prompt-based text-to-image um, AI service, I guess. And I, I knew sort of one of the founders of that through another friend. And we used some of their system that they then were branding as, I think, Cosmographia <laughs> um, to generate images for potential logos of those companies. And then we sold these outputs, these AI-generated images as um, NFTs. And then we also got Gile to choose his favorite AI-generated one and then make a make a kind of finished version in the style of his hand. So it was almost like the hand of Web3 was uh, making drawings of, of these AI-remembered um, Web1 companies. And then we sort of sold these as batches of, um, of assets that you could buy. So, yeah, we had crazy companies. Also, they're really incredibly funny, some of the company names. So CashWars.com was one of the companies that we, re re you know, resurrected. Uh, FinancialPrinter.com uh, was another one. And, uh, yeah, we kind of sold these as groups. And then and then they sort of, some of them started behaving as DAOs. Uh, one of them in particular, Funbug, the CEO token, or the one that Gile designed, was bought by the TerraZero group, which was <laughs> we mentioned before. And then um, there was a really enthusiastic organizer uh, who bought one of the AI tokens in there that then started to design a reboot of Funbug, which actually the original company of Funbug was done by the guy that went on to found GoPro, which is also pretty amazing. So it was his first failed company before he did GoPro. And it was like a gaming company that had a private currency on top of it. So it was sort of like you could design games and then it would be, you know, you could play them. And and so this guy who bought one of the tokens was then trying to organize a, a sort of reboot of Funbug. And there were various actors around that. So that was generated. He unfortunately died, this guy who was organizing that, which is really crazy as well. So that, that project sort of fell flat on its face. But now um, there's a kind of a poet who wants to resurrect Netmorph, which is another one of our uh, of the dot com sounds companies, and he is um, organizing a kind of a, an output of poetry publishing and um, and is designing a speculative game where he will give away I think dot com assets um, Netmorph membership to people who participate in his writing forums. So I think that's also another usage. And I guess I was really interested in using that because it's like permissionless, right? And one of the things that I really like about one of the Web3 promises and buzzwords that I really like is this idea of permissionlessness, the idea that anybody can do anything with the infrastructure once it's out there, you know? And so I like the idea as an author of creating a, a kind of a 
a space where people can project their own ideas and do their own thing, you know? So for me, a successful use of dot-com seance would be, as I say, if somebody else like the Netmorph guy, um, like one of these guys from Funbug, would then kind of take the idea and do something else with it themselves, you know, because I guess in a, coming from the traditional art world, um, authorship is often pretty tight, actually. Like, you know, artists know how to take things, use things, and, and do other things, but once you start showing in museums and selling things and whatever, like, actually the instinct is rather to control meaning and context because that's also where value comes from, you know? Um, and if you're part of a community that has access to um, value-making systems like museums, one sort of gets scared of letting people do whatever with your brand, you know? Um, so I liked this freedom that the NFT art world opened up to me where I could kind of propose things and, and other people would do things with them. I don't know if that mm. answers your question, but that's sort of the interest in dot-com seance. Yeah. <laughs> That that's a very great response or introduction to to your project. I, I feel like I learned a lot and also feel there's a lot of resonance mm. um, with your experiences when you're saying like the beginning of how you started it, like witnessing um, like the web one, it started fading, and then also you're thinking about this more open source creative way like let go of the artist authorship right yeah it's an amazing context um i mean just going back to leaning into that a little bit can you say from your perspective like what you see as the future potential for your practice going forward like using these systems like using blockchains using nfts it sounds like you have some other iterations of forkonomy and uh, positive coin but do you have other things that you'd like to do also with this technology or is it something that you see as, yeah, more limited to these projects? Like maybe speak in your wider work, like what you've got coming up and what you want to spend your energy on. So for like most iteration for my project, I think it's also about open source mm -hmm. <laughs> because I want to like open source all my, all my process, uh, not only the code, but also how I have that installation, what's the size of how to install like certain gadget aside, how to have that carpet, how to take the water. Oh, um, wow. That all kind of like written and want that to be open source to the public. Oh, wow. Um, open source installation design kind of. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's like the whole line of open sourcing and let people to um, have their own iteration afterwards. I think that for me, it's important um, kind of um, have a practice of like let go of artist authorship hmm. and defining the meaning of it because, hmm. yeah, I, I think I kind of like tend to define the meaning uh, of my artwork I used to be. And then I started to, after I encountered um different indigenous community who have different idea on how they create and their relation with their cultural creations mm. and also different civic group, tech mm -hmm. group, open mm -hmm. source group. Um, that really inspired me of like rethinking of this traditional contemporary art regime on one-to-one -one, uh, authorship uh, relation. Right. Another thing that I'm more interested in recently it's to look into CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency, mm. because now a lot of government, uh, it's 
trying to get more control on cryptocurrencies. Right. And also they're issuing their CBDC. So I kind of want to study on how CBDC affect the current crypto market. Oh, wow. um, and how, what's the use of um, the CBDC right now? Amazing. Maybe, yeah. I, can I expect in the future maybe a uh, South China Sea Dow CBDC? Is that, is that, <laughs> could, could that be something that happens? <laughs> oh, can that be? Oh, my God, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, that would be a very interesting um, seasteading experience, <laughs> financial seasteading experience. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, that's that's great. We can have a South China Sea CBDC. <laughs> I love that. Okay, cool. Hey, um, thank you so much, Tsutong, for taking the time to speak with me today. I really, I think these projects are really amazing, and it's. I, I feel like I understand them a lot more now. We barely touched on your seed phrase, but you read it at the beginning, <laughs> and I feel like we've gone into sail, pirate, and sea. We've gone into uh, the non-human and war a little bit. Um, we've definitely touched on decolonization. Island X, we haven't. Uh, can you can you maybe expand on Island X a little bit? Because I think politics, commoning, art, and uh, an identity we've all touched on. But but maybe as a last question, can you expand on Island X uh, as as a part of your seed phrase? Yes. So the phrase Island X, for me, X marks the spot where the centralized system and the conventional nation-building ideology are at work in each community. It's just like the sham that work on queer community because like this nation power creates the shame or the negative feelings right. within each queer bodies. I think like X also marks this kind of like exclusion place, the negative and positive side effects of longing or resisting to community together. Mm. Uh, and Island X for me indicates Taiwan because it is seemed like a queer nation. It is not being admitted by UN or many international organization, but also longing to be admitted. Right. And how maybe decentralized tool can play upon such political and also emotional situation. I think many of my artwork develop upon such idea and that's why I also put Island X uh, on my C phrase. That's so interesting because there's so many projects adjacent to crypto that are kind of trying to start new nations. Again, it's in this kind of, I guess, you know, right libertarian framework where, you know, you want to sort of exit the existing nation state. Often it's the U.S. that people are thinking of uh, in particular and start kind of new rogue uh, communities. I'm thinking of also more recent projects like Praxis, um, which is sort of a, a startup trying to start a new country, but there's been countless uh, attempts at these. And it's really interesting to hear you say this about uh, Taiwan, that it's sort of like a country that already exists that wants to claim its countryness in a more round sense, right? So it's, again, a very different way of wanting to claim nationhoodness and a much deeper and older conversation than some of these startup attempts. Anyway, where can people best find out about your work if they want to follow up from this conversation or if they want to learn more either about Forkonomy or, or Positive Coin or other things? Where's the best place to start to find your work? I think all this work can be found by, on my website. Mm-hmm. It's zutong.com, T-Z-U-T-U-N-G, zutong.com. Yes. And can people reach out to you there too? Do you have like a an email or do you do social stuff? Are you on Twitter or Instagram or anything like that? Yes, I'm on Instagram and also Facebook. So you, if you are typing my name, you can find me on either Facebook, social media, Twitter. 
Very cool. Hey, thank you so, so much for taking the time to, to be on Seafrace today. Um, it's been a real pleasure, and I can't wait to um, to speak to you further in the future and to hear about the, uh, the South China Sea uh, <laughs> centralized bank <laughs> cryptocurrency. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. I, I also learned a lot from your podcast. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for having this podcast as well. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. That's it for this episode of Seed Phrase. Thanks so much to Li Tzu-Tsung for elaborating on her deep and unusual interventions between activism and performance. The way she moves across political divides, extending the language of token-based art making into disputed and underrepresented zones of urgency is an inspiring model. I feel lucky to have her maps in my mind and her tokens in my wallet. Seed Phrase is generously supported and produced by the New Institute in Hamburg was recorded at Studio Yacht in Berlin and is edited by FX1 in Hamburg. The music featured in this podcast is by Amnesia Scanner from their Web3 project, Scammer, which was released as a series of CC0 NFTs. Thanks again to the New Institute for providing this space and to you for listening to these conversations.